Chapter 17 of Your Pay Envelope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Your Pay Envelope by John Richard Meter. Chapter 17 The Remedy. My dear John, as we have seen, it is not necessary that we should study life through the smoked glasses of socialism to realize that all is not well with the world. Indeed, we have no need to look further than our own everyday experiences to witness misery that is heart-rending, to see evils that imperatively demand relief. That such conditions exist, nobody can deny and the socialists have made good use of this fact in shaping their appeal for universal justice. Certainly it is an argument that cannot fail to touch the human heart that is at all moved to sympathy. If such evil conditions exist, it is our duty to remedy them, and with as little delay as possible. Sympathy is not enough. We must act and act at once. But how? It is a question that we who are not socialists are frequently asked. If the socialists are wrong, our friends inquire, what have you to offer as a substitute? One of the greatest weaknesses in the socialist position is due to the fact that it persists in looking at life from the wrong perspective. Instead of finding the right point of view, it examines life's canvas from so close a range that it loses all sense of proportion. Assuming this attitude toward current events, the abuses apparent are magnified to such a degree as to make it appear that Marx was correct in asserting that the capitalist system is rotten to the core, and that the only hope for relief lies in collective ownership. Are the socialist contentions true? Is everything in this country tending towards hopeless bankruptcy? Fortunately, there are facts in plenty which answer these questions. There never was a period in the world's history in which greater progress was made toward modifying, if not actually eliminating, the burdens that have caused so much misery to the poor. You must remember, John, that the evils against which socialists inveigh so bitterly are not new evils. They had their origin generations ago. They had been promoted by the sophistical theories of economic liberalism. And if they now seem more indefensible than they did to our grandfathers and great-grandfathers, it is because our intenser conceptions of the ideals of human brotherhood compel us to view life with closer scrutiny. In truth, while the indictment of socialism is warranted in one sense of the word, it is by no means entirely justified. If we were doing nothing to improve conditions for the workers and for the relief of the poor, the outlook would be a hopeless one. But when we realize that while socialism itself is doing practically nothing but denouncing and slandering society, where it does not actually oppose our reform measures, we are working steadily toward the solution of our social problems. We can see good reason to believe that our civilization is far from being the failure it has been pictured. No better evidence of the extent of the world's material progress can be found than in labor's advancement during the past century. Today there is still much to be done before we can attain the ideal embodied in the expression, a fair day's pay. Yet it is interesting to note that we should have to go back no further than the first quarter of the 18th century 
to find an act of the court of massachusetts under which employers could adopt a maximum wage schedule in a word this law prevented an employer from giving more than the specified sum per day yet no effort was made to prevent him from paying the lowest wages for which a laborer could be induced to work between this condition and the minimum wage agitation with which we are now familiar there is a contrast that speaks eloquently in evidence of our social progress in england at the beginning of the nineteenth century the situation of labor was worse than it has ever been in this country forbidden by law to establish any safeguard in the form of organization for his own protection the employee was absolutely at the mercy of his employer the result was a condition of affairs that was barbaric the employer paid the rate of wage agreed in money or even in truck he was under no further legal responsibility and as the introduction of improved machinery in many trades was beginning to make it possible for women and children to perform the duties which hitherto had fallen only upon men an employer was able to make the worker accept terms that made proper sustenance impossible at the dawn of the nineteenth century this was the condition of things the laborer was one prohibited from forming protective combinations or unions two compelled to work sixteen hours out of each twenty-four three forced to accept as recompense wages which were wholly inadequate to provide the most vital necessities of life and as though these conditions were not sufficiently oppressive four employers were permitted to make payment at long intervals or in truck and could charge interest at the rate of two hundred and sixty per cent per annum on all cash advances made to the needy worker apparently this was the time when marx ought to have appeared with his doctrine of wage slavery and his incitement to class hatred but when we compare these conditions with those which exist today we can readily see that while things are still far from being ideal the worker assuredly is not sinking steadily into deeper depth of degradation even in this country the conditions of the laborer were far from enviable a century ago as mcmaster tells us in his history of the people of the united states his house was meaner his food coarser his clothing was of commoner stuff his wages lower and his hours of daily labor far longer than those of the men who in our time perform like service down to the opening of the nineteenth century a farmhand was paid three dollars a month a strong boy could be had for a dollar a month women who went out to service received ten dollars a year typesetters were given a dollar per day the hours of work were from sunrise to sunset and as the sun rose later and set earlier in the winter than in the summer wages in december were one-third less than in july on such pittances it was only by the strictest economy that a mechanic could keep his children from starvation and himself from jail for these were the days when a man could be arrested upon the complaint of a creditor and being lodged in jail could be kept there until the indebtedness was paid a system which actually permitted life imprisonment for debt if i were to tell you of the indescribably vile conditions under which the workers of those days toiled and lived you would find it difficult to believe that human beings could bear such burdens and survive 
If you are interested in investigating this subject, there are books in the libraries that will tell you the story and all its damning details. And this is the perspective from which you should view life. It is, to say the least, unscientific to exaggerate the weak spots in present-day civilization to such an extent as to convey the impression that the evils criticized are the worst that have ever been known when a few hours' study of history would be sufficient to disclose the fact that circumstances are now infinitely less oppressive than they have been in the past. At the same time, the knowledge that things are incalculably better than they were even half a century ago, and that they are steadily improving, must not blind us to the fact that there is still much to be done, more perhaps than has yet been accomplished and that it is our duty as good citizens to do our part in remedying all our social defects. But what are we to do? Let history answer. Do you imagine that it was the individual capitalist, the heartless and greedy sweater, who was responsible for all the improvements that have occurred in our industrial conditions? No, it was the worker himself who secured all these reforms, the worker, chiefly through his own effort, as brought about the Reformation that we witness today. And it is the worker who must carry on the campaign until all the abuses of which we complain have been eliminated. It is from the pages of history that we learn the story of the past. It is to the pages of history that we must turn for advice as to what we must do in the future. Let us see what history tells us. In the first place, we learn that, despite all the legal prohibitions then existing, the workers organized new associations. In the beginning, these organizations were merely friendly societies, ostensibly formed to provide aid for the men in time of sickness or other misfortune. But behind this purpose was the inception of the peaceful revolution that was to rescue labor from the mire of degradation into which it had been so pitilessly thrust. Here, then, we have our first lesson, the duty of the worker to organize. As Portinar says in his Problems of Organized Labor, page 4, the trade union came into being because it was needed, because the helpless individual found in concerted action with other individuals his best, if not his only, means of resistance to the arbitrary exercise of power, to injustice, to cruelty. It was a hard fight. Wealth and the merciless power of wealth, the state law, forbidding workmen to cooperate for the purpose of increasing wages and fixing maxima, with its interpreters zealous for its rigorous enforcement, legislative bodies deaf to the cries of those who were denied the privilege of a voice in the selection of their members, and the broken-spirited timidity of those in whose behalf the union was created. These were the forces to be contended with and overcome. But the trade union was born and the trade union is one many a victory. But for this weapon of defense, and sometimes of offense, the conditions of the worker would not have been what it is today. Through its efforts, legislation has been secured. Through its efforts, public opinion has been shaped. And it is to its efforts that we must look primarily for future betterment of labor's condition. The first step, therefore, is one of organization, and this step, once taken, our subsequent progress follows logically. As the strength of the organized workers increases, more demands can be made, and with a much better prospect that they will be recognized. 
legislatures like parliaments are no longer deaf and blind to the requirements of the workers we have seen the circumstances under which the laborer existed in the past we know from personal experience the hardships suffered by those who live under the lessened burden of today looking broadly to labor legislation as it has occurred in this country said carol d wright it may be well to sum up its general features such legislation has fixed the hours of labor for women and certain minors in manufacturing establishments it has adjusted the contracts of labor it has protected employees by insisting that all dangerous machinery shall be guarded it has created boards of factory inspectors whose powers and duties have added much to the health and safety of the operatives it has in many instances provided for weekly payments it has regulated the employment of prisoners protected the employment of children provided for the ventilation of factories and workshops established industrial schools modified the common law rules relative to the liabilities of employers for injuries of their employees fixed the compensation of railroad corporations for negligently causing the death of employees and has provided for their protection against accident and death in spite of all that has been accomplished however we must increase enormously our efforts along these lines and so open up new avenues of progress the question of the hours of labor requires adjustment child labor sweating the home industries the standardization of wages on a living basis are but a few of the problems which must be settled and the only way to settle them is by means of legislation we must not forget however that laws are of little use unless they are enforced we already have laws on our statute books which would quickly put an end to some of our abuses were they to be applied adequately this teaches us that unless legislation is supported by public opinion it will be practically useless until public sentiment forbids laws are evaded and a statute that is a dead letter is a pretty sterile reform measure it is here that we find the next duty of the worker personally and through his organization he must carry out a campaign of education that will help to develop a more alert social conscience that will arouse all good citizens to the justice of his demands and so frustrate the efforts of the rascals who greed inspired exist chiefly to set the moral laws at naught today this program can be carried out more easily than ever before in human history the social conscience is already awakening and in his efforts to win more support for his righteous cause the worker will drive aid from the churches as well as from the many organizations that have come into existence during the past decade solely to cast their influence in behalf of social welfare movements the social question today includes the industrial question moreover it is more than an economic and political question it has its moral and religious phases and so appeals directly to all public-spirited men and women by organization legislation and education a still wider and ever-widening interest can be excited until one by one the merciless evils now the source of so much woe have been eliminated the objection may be raised that the program outlined is anything but a simple one i will admit that this is so but i can assure you john that the difficulties presented by the remedial measures i have suggested 
are really not as great as those which we should experience were we to attempt to carry out the plan which the socialists have arranged for us. The program I have outlined represents a sane solution of our industrial problems, and the better acquainted with socialism you become, the more firmly you will be convinced that the so-called palliatives afford the only safe remedy for existing evils. There can be no shortcut to the end we seek. Many forces operate to produce present conditions, and they must be considered and coordinated. It is because the socialists have failed to recognize this fact and make provision for it that they have lost their way and wandered into such a tangle of absurdities. End of chapter 17 End of Your Pay Envelope by John Richard Meter